Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden made it a day one priority to ensure that boys and girls use the same bathroom. And he made good on that promise. That was his priority. Also, five headlines, including bad speeches and bad poetry at the inauguration, plus a 100-day mask mandate goes into effect. And a professional video game player suffers a career-ending injury. Very sad story there. And in our daily cancellation, I will cancel the proposed Patriot Party before it even has a chance to exist. All of that and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. First, let's talk about ExpressVPN. You know, I've been talking about ExpressVPN on my show for a long time, for months now. So why haven't you gotten a VPN yet? Why haven't you done it? Explain that to me. Explain it right now. Actually, explain it later because i got to tell you more about this. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. There has never been a more important time to protect your digital rights. That's why I and thousands of my, my patriotic listeners choose to secure our online data by using ExpressVPN. Did you believe that a VPN isn't for you because you can use the Internet just fine without one? That's, you know, that's what a lot of people think. Anytime you go online, your internet service provider can see every site you're visiting. That's the problem. And if you're confused about how it works, ExpressVPN is an app for computers and smartphones that encrypts your network data and reroutes it through a secure server. That's the basics there. That means you can use the internet more anonymously without having your activity tracked, and that way you're getting the privacy that you have a right to and that you deserve when you're online. Do you think that VPNs are complex and only for tech tech experts? That was uh, one one of the things my worries going into this is that I, I, I thought, well, this, this sounds complicated, but take it from me. It's not that complicated at all. With ExpressVPN, you launch the app and tap just one button to protect yourself, and that's it. I mean, it really is that simple. I trust ExpressVPN to protect my online data because they're rated number one by CNET and Wired, and they stand for my values. So now is the time for you to take a stand and to protect yourself. Uh, this is just, it's you're doing yourself a favor by doing this. Take back your privacy at expressvpn.com slash Walsh and get three extra months free on a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Walsh, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh to get three extra months. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now. Joe Biden, who for the first 65 or 70 years of his life, much of it spent in public office, showed no interest in trans issues, never hinted in a belief that biological males can be women if they feel like it, has now become, after just one day in office, the most radically pro-trans president ever in history. This, admittedly, is not a difficult feat. After all, almost nobody on earth believed that women have penises until about seven years ago. Um, And that's when millions of leftists decided, nearly all at once, that everything we know about biological science is somehow false. Though they've yet to explain how it's false or why they came to believe it to be false, but uh, we're supposed to just accept it anyway. At any rate, now we have Biden, the 78-year-old man, governing much like a 19-year-old college student who just took her first gender studies class might. And his first act, to this end, happened before he took office, actually. He named Rachel Levine, who's the current health secretary of Pennsylvania, as his assistant health and human services secretary. The only reason he did this is that Rachel Levine is a, quote, trans woman, i.e. a male who believes himself to be a woman. And this is what makes the pick historic, we're told. Yet what really makes it historic is that Levine is the first assistant health and human services secretary to be appointed to the position, despite arguably being partly responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. Maybe I should check my facts on that claim. Actually, it's possible that other Democratic administrations have appointed Planned Parenthood officials to that role, in which case Levine would not be the first. Um, So I'm not quite sure about that. Either way, the fact is that Levine, as uh, as health secretary of Pennsylvania, was presiding when the state adopted a policy of admitting COVID patients to nursing homes. 
Since then, 10,000 people have died in nursing homes and care facilities just in that state alone. We should note that Newsweek did a fact check, a quote, fact check, big air quotes around that, on the claim that Levine is responsible for the deaths of thousands of elderly in the state. Shockingly, they rated the claim false. They said it's not true. Here's what Newsweek said. Although Levine serves as the Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, of Health and was active in that position when the state's health department issued the guidance to nursing home facilities saying they can accept patients from hospitals and patients and patients who formerly had COVID-19, that does not prove she placed coronavirus positive patients in nursing homes or contributed to thousands of elderly deaths in the state. Okay, so this policy was in place. Levine was the health secretary, but there's no way to connect these dots, no way to blame him for it. Who knows? Who can say? And the thing is, even if you put the deaths of thousands of elderly aside, which you certainly can't, but even if you did, still you're left with the fact that Pennsylvania's COVID death rate is on the higher end of the spectrum among states. Deaths in Pennsylvania are at about 152 per 100,000 people. By comparison, deaths in Florida are at 114 per 100,000. And the media tells us that Florida has been a disaster zone. Right, Ron DeSantis doing a horrible job, they tell us. Well, if that's true, what does that say about Pennsylvania? So even after arbitrarily absolving Levine of all the guilt for the murderous health policies in the state where he was health secretary, you still have no reason on the merits to promote him. But of course, on the merits is the whole rub here. This is, this is not a promotion based on the merits. This is a promotion based on the identity, or in this case, the identity confusion. Speaking of confusion, Joe Biden, on his first day in office, issued a flurry of executive orders. He essentially set out to overturn Trump's entire tenure in one day, all through executive fiat, and he basically did. Of course, uh, it goes without saying that there wasn't any hand-wringing from the media about this violation of norms or the fascist dictatorial takeover, blah, blah, etc. Quite the opposite. They celebrated it, obviously. Um, one of uh, Biden's executive orders is aimed at, quote, preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. And here's what it says, in part. By the authority vested in me as president of, by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows. Every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear, no matter who they are or whom they love. Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. And then it goes on to great extent from there. But the problem here, we can just stop it right there because the problem is, number one, no child is being denied access to the restroom, locker room, or school sports. This is not happening. This was never happening. Boys are perfectly free to use the boys' room and play on boys' sports. There's no denial here. Trans students also are not being denied anything. Where, is that, where was that happening? Well, trans students aren't allowed to use the bathroom. Really? Where? The question is whether a boy who says he's trans should have access to literally any restroom he wants or any sports team he wants, even if it means infringing on the rights of real girls. The answer to that question from any sane person, any morally decent person, is obviously no. We don't have to think about it. It's just a matter of common sense. There's not a lot of reflection required. If you ask a normal, sane, morally decent person, oh, what do you think? Do you think... Um, uh, you think 14-year-old girls in, in, in school should be forced to share a restroom with a boy who says he's gender confused? A normal sane person says, of course not. 
Obviously not. There's, 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 there's no reason to allow that. And every reason not to. But Biden has no common sense or sense of any other kind at this point, And he is not morally decent either, despite the way he's branded. The second problem is that the Constitution in no way vests in the president the authority to decide which sports team a kid can play on or which locker rooms they can use. This is by no means, by no reasonable interpretation, a constitutional power granted to the president. In fact, no human anywhere has the legitimate moral or legal authority to demand that girls share the locker room with boys. Nobody does. But this is the authority Biden has claimed for himself, and it's so important to him personally that girls be forced to disrobe in front of boys that he made it a day one priority. As the media has been telling us, and maybe I'm sure they'll stop telling us now, people are dying every day in a pandemic. And Biden is focused on ensuring that little girls have no privacy in the bathroom. That's what he's worried about. This is not the action of a decent man, but of a deranged, amoral pervert. Or else of a hapless, gutless coward enacting somebody else's agenda because he lacks the spine or the brain power to do the right thing. My guess is that it's a little bit of both. We're told that, you know, Biden's administration is a return to normalcy. In some ways it is. Because degeneracy and the victimization of children is normal in our culture. That's what Biden promised. Normalcy. It's what he's delivering. There's a lot more where this came from on the way. I'm sure. Let's get now to our five headlines. Before we get to our five headlines, you know, one thing that is I think that's just killing a lot of people, uh, even people that otherwise they've got they got their finances in order and they've got everything figured out, but they've got higher balances on their credit cards than they should. They got a higher interest rate and they're you're just you're just losing money every second. When you got a situation like that. If you're thinking about the high interest rate credit cards that you used over the holidays, when it comes to refinancing your credit cards, you've got options. But only Lightstream was ranked number one by JD Power for customer satisfaction with personal loans. Um, Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans start at just 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. You could save thousands in interest. This is just one of those things that you could do for yourself. Um, and it's, it's, it's smart. You know, this is you're doing yourself a favor by um, by using Lightstream because there's no reason to have these high interest rates. You got a high balance on the card, and you're you're losing you're losing money. You're basically setting money on fire. Stop doing that. Stop setting money on fire. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Um, and here's what you got to do: apply today for a credit card consolidation loan for the company JD Power, ranked number one for customer satisfaction and personal loans. Plus, get an additional interest rate discount at lightstreamcom Walsh. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Walsh. Subject to credit approval, range rates from 5.95% APR to 19.99% APR and include 0.5% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change. Without notice, visit lightstream.com slash Walsh for more information. All right. You know, I woke up this morning at 6 a.m. Uh, I, I went outside at 6 a.m. and my, my boys were awake running through the house at 6 a.m. playing Cowboys and Indians. Um, and which I, I already know, of course, cultural appropriation, all of that. I, I talked to them about that. But, um, but the point is that my, my youngest son, four, the four-year-old, he, uh, his Indian headdress was his, his pants that he had taken off and put on his head. And so he's running pantless through the house at 6 a.m. with the pants on his head. 
playing Indian Indians. And I, I just thought as I, as I saw this, you know, it's, it's, if I could have even a fraction of the energy that I had as a kid, kids are full of so much energy. If we could just maintain even a fraction of that as adults, think of all the things we could accomplish. And this is also why, by the way, uh, it's important to have kids young. You know, you don't want to wait until your late 30s or 40s to have kids. There are a lot of reasons for that, but this is one of them. Because they demand a lot of energy. You're not going to have all the energy for them. But I cannot imagine being like 45 and having a kid who runs through the house at 6 a.m. with his pants on his head. All right. Um, so, number one, the inauguration yesterday was, uh, was, was and first of all, let me say this about the inauguration and, and, and what's happened um, with this new administration. I just want to acknowledge this. And obviously, I'm a conservative and I'm a critic of, of the new administration. But, but uh, when a historic moment occurs, I think we should all acknowledge it. And the truth is that a glass ceiling was shattered yesterday when the first man with full-blown dementia was inaugurated president. This never happened before in history. So that is, you know, that's a, that is a glass ceiling shattering moment. And we should acknowledge that. Uh, Biden gave a long speech. Uh, for some reason, I'll play a quick clip of it. I don't even know why I'm doing this, but here is a, a quick little clip of Biden's inauguration speech. Here we go. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. Yeah, you know, once again, it doesn't really mean anything if you wait until you win to say this. If you're only a, a good sport when after you win the game, it's the sportsmanship doesn't mean much. So your calls for unity and peace didn't hear much about that during the campaign, especially when BLM was was uh, yeah, they were talking about exhausting outrage. Didn't hear much about it then. Um, and he, he talks about treating people with dignity. I, I believe that 100%. But we have to keep in mind, I'm sorry, that, that when, when Joe Biden or any Democrat talks about treating people with dignity, he is, he is ruling a lot of people out of the people category. So that's you got to read the fine print anytime a Democrat says anything, especially when they're talking about human dignity. Read the fine print because there's a little asterisk there and you got to look down at the fine print and you'll see there that uh, people, that does not include babies who are still in the womb. So that, that, that excludes millions of people from the people category. Because we're not treating them with dignity. Unless, uh, I don't know, dismembering a person and throwing them into a dumpster like abortion clinics do to millions of children every year. Is that, are we counting that as dignity? So maybe that's where the fine print is. Treating someone with dignity could include dismembering them and throwing them in a dumpster. And is it, are we treating our, our daughters with dignity when they, are, when they are begging us and saying, no, please don't let boys into the bathroom with me. I want my privacy. I, I feel unsafe with the boys here. And we say to them, shut up and deal with it. Is that treating them with dignity? I don't know. Chris Wallace uh, over at Fox, he listened to this inauguration speech and he said it was the best one he's ever heard. Let's, let's listen to that. 
We must end this uncivil war, and the way we can do it is if we show each other a little tolerance and humility. Martha, I thought it was a great speech. Um, I've been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961. John F. Kennedy asked not. I thought this was the best inaugural address I ever heard. Best he's ever heard. And it was, uh, okay, it was, leaving aside all the hypocrisy and everything else, it was just sort of fine. And that's what you get. So you get from most political speeches. I, 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 I have, as I've, as I've said many times in the past, I've actually never, I don't think I've ever heard a speech from a politician um, in my life. I mean, unless we're going back through history, I'm talking about a, a, a current politician, a speech that I've listened to live of a current politician. I've never heard one that, that, that really was great. The, 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 the best they could be is great by the standards of politicians. I've never heard one that was really memorable. What was, what was the last speech from a politician that you heard and years later, you know, there are lines from that speech that you still recall and still remember? I'm not sure it's ever happened. I mean, the, the one example of that, maybe, of a, of a truly, you know, like what is the, we think of truly memorable uh, political speeches in our lifetime. And to be truly memorable, you actually have to remember certain lines from it without going back to Google. That's what memorable means, right? So it, has there been even one? And the only one that comes to mind for me, maybe, would be George Bush, his impromptu speech that he gave standing on top of the rubble of the tower into the megaphone. You know, when he said, I, I hear you and soon the people who knock down these towers, they're going to hear all of us. That's a line I remember. So that might be the only memorable political speech. You could say whatever else you want about George Bush. Plenty of criticism you could lob at him, but at least that was a good speech and a good moment. Okay. Um, also, we should also mention, uh, we didn't play the clip, but in fairness, we should also mention that Joe Biden did denounce white supremacy. And he got a lot of credit from that from the media, too. He denounced white supremacy in his inaugural address. So he is keeping up the tradition now, the, the new tradition, um, that says that presidents have to ritualistically denounce white supremacy every 45 minutes. So he's going to keep that going, which is great. Um but, you know, black supremacy, for example, that we get from, from Black Lives Matter, we're not going to get any denunciations of that. goes without saying. Now, um, there was a, a, another moment from the inauguration that a lot of people talked about. So it was very beautiful. A poem delivered by Amanda Gorman. This is kind of a slam poetry. And everyone, now I admit I'm a Philistine, okay? I'm a classless Philistine. Dropped out of community college. What do I know? But I listen to this poem and I, I, I didn't quite get it. I understand the, which I get what she's trying to say. I didn't see the beauty and the art in it personally, but you, you tell me what you think. Let's listen. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. 
that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together, victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Is that even poetry? I get that she's saying it with a certain rhythm, I guess, but I don't, I, I think poetry has to have metaphor or beauty. I just, I don't, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I don't hear it. And it's not just her, but modern, here's the thing, modern poetry to me, much of it, uh, especially this kind of slam poetry style, it sound, it always sounds to me like a glorified blog post. You can just imagine this written in a, uh, someone's blog post. Uh, it's, but you, you, you say it with a certain rhythm and now all of a sudden it's poetry. I, I don't mean to be a hater, but I'm sorry. What can I say? Um, number two from the independent says, Mr. Biden kicked off his presidency by issuing his much anticipated 100 day mask challenge to the country, pairing it with an executive order to mandate mask wearing in all federal buildings and during interstate travel. Remember federal buildings. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Mr. Biden explained to reporters, it's, it's requiring, as I said, along where I have authority, mandating masks be worn, social distancing be kept on federal property. Um, president is also reorganizing the way the White House's institutional approach to the coronavirus pandemic, bringing back an Obama era position within the administration entitled the Directorate for Global Health Security and Biodefense. Um, and he brought in some more people for that, for that position as well. Um, first of all, I'll say, you know, to President Biden, I hear your challenge, 100 days of wearing the mask. I hear that. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to ignore it. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to continue along like I was before. I understand your opinion about whether I should wear a mask. I understand what your opinion is about what I should have on my face. It just doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care. Um, I, don't, I don't care about your opinion as the president about what I'm wearing on my face. And I don't recognize your authority to tell me. So I'm going to continue right along doing what I was doing before, which is most of the time not really wearing the mask, to be honest with you. And why 100 days? We still haven't been told that. Why 100 days? Why not 90? Why not 150? Why not 200? And we already know if we look at 15 days to slow the spread, that was nine months. Well, 100 days, do the math for that. That turns into, I don't know, years and years and years of wearing the mask, which we are also being told by the media now. Uh, We're starting to see the articles come out and the headlines that Hey, even after you get vaccinated, you probably still should wear the mask. It's just a good, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good, healthy thing to do. Why not wear it? It's that, it's the, you know, no skin off your nose. In fact, you're just covering your nose. What's the big deal? It's extra skin on your nose in a certain way. But Mr. Biden, um, as he's called here, he was, he, he says, wear the, the mask in federal buildings. Well, later on that day, he was in a federal building, the Lincoln Memorial, And let's take a look here and see if he's wearing a mask. Let's watch. Hello, all the participants of tonight's event. It's humbling to stand here in this place in front of these sacred words, humbling out of respect to President Lincoln and the office we now share, and humbling because of you, the American people. As I said earlier today, we have learned again that democracy is precious. He's not wearing the mask. That's the twist ending there. No mask. After he just told us we have to wear it, except for him. We've learned that lesson by now. 
Right, this is from CBS Sports. It says, the NFL announced Tuesday its official eight-person officiating crew for Super Bowl, for the, for the upcoming Super Bowl. In doing so, it, um, it marked a historic achievement for Sarah Thomas, six years after becoming the first full-time female official in league history. She's set to become the first woman to officiate a Super Bowl, teaming up with 20-year, year, uh, 21-year veteran Carl Chaffers on this year's championship cruise. So this is uh, another big deal, historic we're going to have our first female, uh, first woman officiating the Super Bowl. I don't know why I picked this story, because there's nothing I can say about it that, that won't get me in trouble. So maybe I'll just move on. But the only thing I'll say is, uh, you know, I mean, no offense when I say this, but I guess you may as well have women officiating NFL games at this point. Because anytime there's a big hit, already the refs are like, they're like my, like, they're like my wife. Hey, gentle, gentle, boys, be nice. No hitting. Honey, the boys are fighting again. Can you come in here and talk to them? That's already what the refs do. So I guess you might as well. Might as well bring in women for more of that sort of uh, authentic maternal side. Number four, um, the first White House press conference under the new administration happened yesterday. There was one good question during the whole press conference. And it's a very good question, in fact. And I'm very happy it was asked. Um, I'm a little surprised that, because uh, this is a question from a reporter for EWTN, I'm a little surprised they got called on, but they made use of their time. Here it is. Go ahead all the way in the back. Yeah, hi, uh, congratulations on your new position. Uh, Owen Jensen with EWTN Global Catholic Network. Two big concerns for pro-life Americans. The Hyde Amendment, which of course uh, keeps taxpayer dollars, as you know, from paying for abortions, Medicaid abortions, and the Mexico City policy which under the previous administration they expanded to keep tax dollars from overseas paying for abortions. So what are President, what is President Biden planning on doing on those two items right now? Uh, well, I think we'll have more to say on the Mexico City policy in the coming days. Um, uh, but I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. Uh, he started his day attending church with his family this morning, um, but I don't have anything more. Okay. That was the strangest non sequitur. What does that have to do with anything? You were asked about his, what he's going to do, Mexico City policy, Hyde Amendment, very specific policy questions. That's a good question from, from that reporter for, from EWTN. And is the, the answer is, well, he went to church. He went to church this morning. That was the answer to the question of, are you going to force federal funding of abortion? He went to church. Now, if, if that answer means anything, if it's indicating anything, um, it should be indicating that, well, of course not. Of course he's not going to force federal funding of abortion or force us to pay for abortions overseas or anything like that. That's, that's, that's what it should mean. And I would appreciate it if that's what it meant. You know, if the question was, uh, is the president going to force federal funding of abortion? Well, what do you mean? He goes to church. Of course not. What do you expect? He's a Christian. He's a real Christian. But I'm, I, I suspect that's not the implication of that answer. The implication is, uh, yeah, he's, gonna, he's radically pro-abortion. We already know that. He wants federal funding. He wants to increase funding of Planned Parenthood and everything else. Uh, but you you can't criticize criticize him for that as a conservative Christian because he's a Christian too. And so because a Christian who's in a position of power supports this position, 
That means Christians can support it. That means it's a valid position for Christians to hold. That's the logic. And it is deranged logic. It's not logic at all, because that's absolutely not true. And as a Catholic, you know, if you are a Catholic and you categorically reject and deny the moral authority of the Catholic Church, then you're not a Catholic. And so that's how I can say, that's how I can, that's how I, I can sit here and actually say, Joe Biden is not a Catholic. He says he's a Catholic. He's lying. He's not one. That is a lie. And yes, I can say that because, no, I don't, I'm not peering inside his soul. I'm not reading his mind. I don't need to. I'm listening to what he says. And I also know that being a Catholic means something. And one of the things that it means at a minimum is that you accept the moral authority of the church. If you don't, you don't have to, right? Living in America, you don't have to accept the moral authority of the church. Um, and if you don't, then okay, you're not a Catholic. You can be anything else. But if you are a Catholic, that's what it means. Joe Biden categorically denies the moral authority of the church. Because the church has always been very clear on this. For 2,000 years, in fact, it's been very clear about killing babies. It is gravely immoral. It is gravely immoral, mortally sinful to do. Gravely immoral, mortally sinful to support. The fund to promote. And you, as a Catholic, you cannot say, I disagree. And still remain a Catholic, right? That's, that's a logical conclusion. In the same way that, um, you know, I cannot say I'm a Mormon, but I deny that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Like, I, I, I can't say that. I, I can physically say it, but in saying it, I have denounced my Mormonism if I was Mormon, which I'm not. But um, if you claim to be part of a religion, but you reject the basic tenets of that religion, then you're not part of that religion. Same, it's, it's, on the other end, I, I can't say, uh, I'm an atheist, but I believe in God. Well, then you're not an atheist. It's not like you're being ruled out of atheism by some overarching, you know, authority of atheism, but it's just, that's a lot, there's a, there's a logical contradiction here, right? So there's a logical contradiction in saying that you're a Catholic who supports abortion. All right, number five, the New York Post has this, a 25-year-old professional video game player has been, hang on, let's start over again. A 25-year-old professional video game player, that's a thing, has been forced to log off for good due to a thumb injury. Thomas Paparato, who goes by the online moniker Zuma, announced he was stepping back from gaming for the foreseeable future in a statement on Twitter on Tuesday. Uh, Breaks my heart to step away from a game I put my heart and soul into every single day for eight years, he wrote. Uh, Paparato, who played with the New York Subliners, one of the world's top Call of Duty League esports teams, thanked fans for their confidence and support. I I don't mean to laugh about this. I'm, I'm sorry he suffered this injury, especially because that's a it's a hell of a, a gig to have. Play video games. So there are teams of people who play video games. Do they? Do people come and watch? I'm so incredibly out of touch. This I'm. I'm shocked by all of this. I didn't know any of this existed or was a thing. And I and I'm starting to regret really all of my life choices. I wish I could go back in time and become a become a gamer, become a professional video game player. That is a, that is a hell of a life. But uh, Paparato is, I guess, hanging up the video game controls and uh, controllers and 
you know, calling it a day, retiring the jersey. So great career, and uh, we wish him well in his future endeavors. There are some problems that we might face that we, we've, we've learned or we, we, we think you just have to deal with it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, there's no solution. One of those is the problem of thinning hair. 80 million men and women in the U.S. experience thinning hair, uh, yet it's still not openly talked about, which can make going through it feel scary and stressful. This adds to the problem, and it also means you might not know that there is something you can do. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help your hair grow as strong as you are, and it's physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. Nutrafol is physician-formulated uh, once again, and that means that, you know, but, but also you don't have to worry about all the drugs and chemicals and everything else. On top of thicker, stronger hair without lasers or chemicals, Nutrafol's ingredients may also help you get a handle on better sleep, stress response, skin, nails, libido, so there's a lot of stuff you get in this one little package. Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for customized product recommendations that put the power to grow thicker, stronger hair back into your hands. Here's the question. Does it work? Well, yes, it does. In clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after six months. So whether you're experiencing thinning or not, you deserve hair as strong as you are. Nutrafol can help you achieve your best hair growth naturally. Um, you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code Walsh to get 20% off your first subscription. That is uh, their best offer available anywhere. Plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, promo code Walsh. Their best offer anywhere. Again, 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Walsh for hair as strong as you are. If you haven't heard about it yet, Daily Wire uh, is now in the entertainment game. You probably have Heard us talking about this, and for good reason. Run, Hide, Fight is uh, the movie. It's our first movie, and it's getting a great reception from the audience and from people that are becoming Daily Wire members to watch it. Um, and you could do that, too. Become a Daily Wire member today. You can watch the movie. All you got to do is use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. Um, we've picked Run, Hide, Fight after Hollywood, studi- after Hollywood Studios turned down the movie because they thought it was, quote, distasteful. In fact, you can go to RottenTomatoes.com and you can see that it's got like 14, 15% uh, fresh rating by Rotten Tomatoes from critics, whereas the audience loves it. So here's just one example. A critic over at the Armchair Auteur said, while I found this film considerably less distasteful than I imagined that I might going in, it's still being released by some despicable people and the film's underlying themes are gross. That said, more entertaining than one might assume. So that was a negative review. And I take that personally. Despicable people. How dare you? Um, But then you look down at the audience reviews. Here's what one person said. I do not care what your politics are or how you feel about The Daily Wire. If you have a chance to see this film, please do. It is a shame that Hollywood said no to this film. It needs to be made because, one, it addresses a subject matter that needs to be addressed. Number two, it celebrates the heroes rather than obsessing over the villains. And number three, if embraced correctly, it could be a rallying cry for better schools. So you see, that's that's the dichotomy between audience versus the critics. We're excited to bring you this. We're excited to bring you many great stories that Hollywood refuses to tell. You can get 25% off when you use promo code RHF over at dailywire.com. Go there now. But first, let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, we're going to cancel something that doesn't actually exist at the moment. This is a preemptive measure, the cancellation equivalent of a vaccine, if you will. I'm canceling the Patriot Party. As briefly mentioned on the show yesterday, there are reports that Donald Trump wants to start a third party and call it the Patriot Party. We haven't heard this from Trump himself. Frankly, I'm skeptical that Trump would actually do that. But 
Uh, whether Trump does it or not, the idea of a third party has gained traction in the last couple of days with a significant number of conservatives, just based on my own interactions, expressing enthusiasm for the idea. But they're wrong. It is a terrible idea. Whatever you call this third party, whoever starts it, whoever's involved, it is an abysmally stupid and self-destructive plan, and I will explain why. And hear me out, okay? Two reasons. First, matter of mathematics. I'm not good at math, but I, I can say this at least. And as I always say, it's better to operate in reality rather than fantasy. Reality is where I like to live and make my decisions. So in reality, the country is divided right now ideologically into a roughly 50-50 split. And that's probably being generous to the right. We're at most 50%, right? At most. And again, that's the reality. I'm not saying I like it, but it doesn't matter if I like it or if you like it. It is what it is. That means that a right-wing third party, especially one where Trump is involved, but even if he isn't, will be pulling from only 50% of the population. So now it's time for basic math. If the left stays together with its 50% and the right takes its 50% and splits it up, then you tell me how the right ever wins another election again, ever until the end of time. And you Really, I'm asked, it's, not, it's not even rhetorical. Someone tell me how this works. Because I don't see it. You've got 50. You need to beat the other 50. And then you subtract from your 50 and you win? How? Now, you might say that I'm building my argument on a false premise. This assumes that a patriot party or whatever other right-wing third party we come up with would only siphon votes from the Republicans. What if it takes from Democrats too and mobilizes a bunch of moderates and politically uninvolved people? Well, yes, that would certainly be a different situation entirely, but that brings us back to the pesky real world where there simply is no platform you could possibly devise that would be appealing to disaffected right-wing Trump supporters and significant numbers of Democrats and moderates. That platform doesn't exist. And maybe if this was 150 years ago, it would exist, or 200 years ago, it would exist. It doesn't now. And if the idea is for this to be a nationalist party, then you certainly are not going to uh, be getting anyone but your fellow right-wingers to join. Just look at the poll numbers. You don't, you don't have to trust any one particular poll, but look at, look at any poll, any, literally any. The nationalist position on immigration, which I agree with wholeheartedly, by the way, does not enjoy wide approval among liberals and moderates. I wish it did, but it doesn't. That's why they're liberals and moderates. In order to be appealing to all these groups and, and thus to have a, a chance to do something other than simply guarantee Democrat victories for the next century, you would have to come up with a moderate platform. But that's exactly the thing the Republican Party is already doing, and it's exactly the thing that probably pisses you off and makes you want to leave. So you see the problem here. There, there is no path to victory. There's, it, it doesn't exist. I wish it did. It doesn't. Now, you might say, and this is what I've heard from a lot of people, that the idea really is to teach the Republicans a lesson. Stick it to the establishment, etc. Well, okay. Are you willing to forfeit the country? And the future and my children's future to achieve that goal? You want to spit in the eye of the Republican Party by giving the left everything it ever dreamed of? That seems a rather self-destructive path. It's a suicide bombing, and the only person you're blowing up is yourself. By the way, the establishment Republican Party, this is so important to understand, they would love it if all the pesky right-wing agitators left and formed their own little party and ensured that they, the establishment, remained in office, but never had actual power. They would love that. 
Mitch McConnell, you hate Mitch McConnell, okay? He would love it if you left and did this. It would be the best thing that ever happened to him. Because this is exactly the position they want to be in. They want to be in office, but not with the burden of real power and the expectations of real leadership. So in an effort to poke the establishment in the eye, you'd be giving the establishment what it wants. Namely, you gone. And the left, and you're also giving the left what it wants. Namely, itself in power forever. The only person who wouldn't get what they want is you. So this plan is sounding worse by the minute. We're not even at the end yet. Second point, the reason for starting a third party, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason would be that the Republican Party is run by shills, charlatans, and frauds. I agree with that assessment, but here's my question. Why do you think the Patriot Party wouldn't be run by exactly the same sorts of people? Shills, charlatans, and frauds we will always have with us everywhere we go, especially in politics. Coming up with a new party and giving it a new name is in no way a protection against this. If, if anything, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a guarantee of it happening because you're creating a void that will be filled with these kinds of people. Will be. All you have to do is look at the political landscape right now as it currently stands. Look at the people who are critics of the GOP establishment. Some of them are sincere and honest. Some of them are hacks and frauds, just as bad as the people they're criticizing, in some cases worse. Look what happened to the Tea Party. Granted, the Tea Party wasn't its own political party, but even so, it began as a real and sincere movement, but quickly, within less than a year, it was overrun by grifters, ex exploiting it for money, power, and fame. Then it fizzled out, and look where it is now. Nowhere. And it is really nowhere. One of the things that mobilized the Tea Party early on, allegedly, was the, was, was the budget and spending and taxes. Um, it, the Republican Party gave up on that. The Republican Party for the last four years has been spending money hand over fist. What happened to the Tea Party? Eh, didn't care. As if to prove my point, I saw this morning that there is already a... Um, there's already a Patriot Party Twitter account. Now, it's not an official account, obviously, because the party doesn't exist, but it has a large following and a growing following, and all the account does is tweet out stuff like, retweet if you think Trump was awesome, smiley face, flag emoji, and the account also sells t-shirts. So they send out these tweets of, retweet this, uh, here's a little bumper sticker slogan, retweet, and then they have a, a link to, sell, to buy their t-shirts. So here's my point. The Patriot Party doesn't exist yet, and already... There are charlatans using it successfully to enrich themselves. The Patriot Party doesn't exist yet, and already it is essentially just a slightly more cringy version of the Republican Party, which is also what the Tea Party became. It's what everything becomes in the end, sad to say. Even the Libertarian Party is basically just the Republican Party, but with weed. I mean, they nominated Gary Johnson in 2016, for God's sake. That's why the third party idea is bad. What then is a better option? Well, I already made my case yesterday that reclaiming the culture is going to have to happen at a much more fundamental level. You aren't going to solve our, our problems politically. You won't even, you're not even going to solve our political problems politically. Even if the Republican Party did everything that we wanted it to do, most of that stuff can be undone whenever the Democrats get in power. Biden has already erased Trump's whole presidency and all of his achievements almost, and he hasn't even completed his second day in office yet. That's the way it works. Politics is like writing your name in the, in, in, in the sand. It's only a matter of time before the tide comes up and washes it away. If you want to make a lasting difference, lasting change, achieve lasting victory, 
It happens locally. It happens in the family. Essentially, conservatives need to have a bunch of kids and homeschool them. That's my plan. Okay, that, that's what I propose. Have a bunch of kids, homeschool them, um, and anything short of that will be like a Band-Aid at best. But as far as political Band-Aids go, given all the issues I've raised, um, the better plan is for the radical right-wing extremist wing of the party, of which I am a proud member, stay in the party, get louder, get more annoying, get pushier, grow in number, and take over the positions of power within. I'm not saying this is a bulletproof plan by any means, but it's better than the third party plan, which is bulletproof only in its certainty of failure. Again, the establishment wants you to leave. Leaving gives them what they want. So don't do that. Stay, be loud, be demanding, be smart, vote for people who actually represent your values, not grifters, not charlatans, not people who are spitting bumper stickers out at you, even if they also are insulting the establishment and saying a lot of the stuff you want to hear. And in the meantime, like I said, Get married, have a bunch of kids, buy some guns, buy some books, buy some land, grow some vegetables, turn off the TV. This is the way. This is the path. And also, don't commit political suicide with a third party. That's an important part of the path. And anyway, the third party has been canceled. And that's it. Glad we could settle that. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Democrats celebrate the triumph of democracy at an inauguration that they prohibited the people from attending. Joe Biden rolls back lots of President Trump's accomplishments and the press couldn't be happier. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.